Hello, and welcome to the AK47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and today I am going to be reading two articles from 1926 and 1927. And these are both articles that are reflecting on Alexandra Kollontai's time in Mexico, where she was sent as the ambassador and kind of made quite a stir, as these articles will attest. But before I read these articles, they're both quite short. One is from the Los Angeles Times, December 25th, 1926. And the other one is from the China Press, April 21st, 1927. And both of these articles are, you know, sort of reflecting on what Kalantai was doing when she was in Mexico. As you will recall, she left Norway. She was sent to Mexico as the ambassador, but she stayed there only a very short time because apparently the altitude was really bad for her heart. Uh, But I think that she basically may have run afoul of Mexican patriarchy uh, in, in, in this particular period of time. But before I dive into these two articles, I wanted to share some exciting news. As I may have mentioned on an earlier podcast with my daughter, I have a new book that's coming out on May 16th and very nervous and very excited, but, but very nervous about this book coming out into the world. But one of the things that happens with a book, uh, especially if you're with a kind of mainstream press is that you get pre-publication reviews and these pre-publication reviews in places like Publishers Weekly or Kirkus, they can really kind of make or break a book because the bookstore owners and people who are book buyers around the country and around the world and foreign rights people, they kind of look to these pre-publication reviews to give them a sense of whether or not a book is going to find an audience or, you know, make a difference, or I don't really know what they're looking for, to be honest. But anyway, the big news is that just yesterday, I got my first pre-publication review of this book from Kirkus. And this is a place that is kind of known to not hold back, like they can be pretty nasty about books. So having a nice review from them means a lot. And especially for this book, which is a pretty darn radical book, I mean, I can imagine that a lot of mainstream Americans will be a little surprised to encounter this book because I'm really, you know, talking about utopias and utopianism in a way that I think is somewhat outside of the mainstream for conversations in the United States, at least, maybe not so much in other countries. But anyway... All I want to say is that Kirkus did not trash the book, which is such a huge relief. I mean, the others could still do so, and I'm sure many people will hate this book. But here's a little pull quote from the Kirkus Review. Quote, though Godsey's proposals are decidedly utopian, readers who think deeper about them may agree that reshaping society is not such an unworkable thing after all. A well-written book whose premises and prescriptions bear consideration, unquote. So, wow, not only did they, you know, basically call a fish a fish, which is that this is a pretty utopian, pretty outside of the mainstream book, but they also said that it was well-written, which of course makes me really happy, but also that 
the things that I'm talking about in the book, and of course, there's always going to be a section on Kalantai, that those sorts of things about comradely love and lateral relationships and expanding our vision of the family, all of that stuff they say are premises and prescriptions that are worth consideration. So, hey, if if that's, a, you know, a, a hint or a foreshadowing of things to come, I I mean, I hope that it finds an audience and I'm really excited to have, you know, the blurb, the people who blurb the book have been so generous and really kind, but you know, the, the real test of a book is when it's actually out there in the world. So I have to wait till May, but until then we can read some wonderful articles about Alexandra Kollontai. And as I said today, I'm going to read this first piece, Calle C's Soviet Envoy. Mexican president and Madame Kolontai declare their nations have special common interest. This is the LA Times, December 25th, Christmas Day, 1926. Mexico City, December 24th, exclusive. In the National Palace, where Porurio Diaz once held sway, President Calles today formally received Madame Alexandra Kolontai, Russian minister plenipotentiary, and in their exchange of words, both pointed out that both countries had broken the bonds of, quote, the small group which once dominated them, unquote, and that both have a special common interest. Madame Kollontai was accompanied by the members of the protocol in formal dress and faced President Gaye surrounded by his entire cabinet. She was dressed in a black silk gown that reached just below her knees with a cape of similar material. Beneath the cape was a white crepe waist matched with a white band across her black hat. Labor delegates and overalled working men rubbed shoulders with diplomats from countries with which Russia has established relations. Madame Kolontai, in French, expressed satisfaction over the relation between the Soviets and Mexico and spoke of an imperialistic hostility the world over directed against certain nations, denying that Russia has any extensionist ideas. She said Russia is in sympathy with the Mexican Revolution and said that to consolidate the cordiality is her task. Mexico and Russia, she said, are countries of workingmen. After her address, she talked with President Calles a few minutes in low tones through an interpreter. She left the palace on the arm of General José Álvarez, the president's chief of staff, a distinction not accorded to male diplomats. The crowd doffed hats as she drove through the central court of the palace towards her legation. President Calles, in his reply to her speech, said Mexico's first ideas in the direction of liberty had been considered extreme by some. Mexico, he said, holds the same ideas of goodwill towards Russia as to all other nations. He assured Madame Kollontai she could count on Mexico's aid in strengthening the friendship and intensifying trade between the two countries. So that's the first article. And of course, I think it's so notable that this newspaper, the Los Angeles Times, at a trade meeting, you know, a meeting between an ambassador and a president of a country decides to focus on what Alexandra Kollontai is wearing. Not that much has changed, of course. She was a woman diplomat, and they also say that she was escorted on the arm of a general who was the president's chief of staff, something 
a privilege apparently not accorded to male diplomats. So they're making a really big deal of the fact that she's a woman and she must, of course, have been aware of that. I also think it's very interesting that she's speaking French, which of course in the 20s was very much so the international diplomatic language. It shows that she's very cultured um, and that she is able to impress upon the Mexican president the uh, authority that she has as a representative of the Soviet Union, even though she is, in fact, a woman. So we get to see what happens just four months later in the next piece that I'm going to read, which is Red Envoy in Mexico denies propaganda. Madame Kolontai says charge made is absurd. And again, this is April 21st, 1927, from a newspaper called the China Press. Mexico City charges that the Russian legation here was using Mexico as a base from which to spread Bolshevist propaganda in the United States and other parts of the Western Hemisphere were characterized as an absurd lie by Madame Alexandra Kolontai, the Soviet minister. She said it was untrue that she intended to leave Mexico soon, but added that there were some basis for the report that she would return to Russia because she suffered in the high altitude here. Unless she were able to adjust herself to the climate, she said, she would have to leave, but she hoped to be able to remain for her two-year term. At present, she is under a doctor's care. Russian diplomats, she declared, were forbidden to take part in activities outside their appointed work. Reports that the legation had a very large staff, presumably for propaganda purposes, Madame Kolontai characterized as false. I have five employees here, she asserted, my private secretary, one secretary, two typists, and an office man who devotes his time to opening the legation door and cutting clippings from the trade reports. Charges that the legation had tried to introduce Soviet propaganda into Nicaragua were greeted humorously by the woman diplomat. Really, I must ask where Nicaragua is, she said. It was absurd, she declared, to assert that the legation was sending propaganda into the United States. We have a large number of friends of the Communist Party there already, she asserted. Why should we try to do so difficult a thing from Mexico? I repeat that we diplomats are forbidden to take part in anything but real diplomatic work, for we are trying to establish diplomatic relations with all countries. We believe all countries have a right to their own opinions, and the Soviet legation in Mexico is not trying to change anyone's ideas. So far as the United States is concerned, what the Soviet desires is the development of business relations. Russia is in a great market for machinery, and the United States, an industrial nation, can supply it. The United States ranks first in sales to Russia, Germany second, and England third. Okay, so now that's the second piece. And wow, there's so much to unpack there. Alexandra Kalantai is being so saucy at the very end of this article. Clearly, she's very upset by the allegations that she's spreading propaganda all across the South America and continent and then up into the United States when, you know, probably she might have been a little bit. But also, I think it's interesting that the Americans accuse her of trying to influence Nicaragua, which is the one 
state in this part of Central America that actually does become eventually a socialist state. So I don't think Kalantai is completely innocent of the charges. However, boy, the dig that she gives at the end, she says, what we want from the United States is business. We want their machinery. We want their capital. And she ends, this article ends, which I think is really interesting, with this quote saying that basically at this point in time, in 1927, even though the Americans are completely opposed to the Bolsheviks, the United States ranks first in sales to Russia, the Soviet Union, uh, and Germany ranks second and England third. So these three advanced capitalist countries who say everything against Bolshevism, who are totally opposed to what the Soviets are doing, have absolutely no problem selling them machinery. So Kalantai knows that basically these people are total hypocrites. And she knows that capitalists will always be capitalists. And if there's a buyer, they will sell their machines. And so literally, she's pointing out that in 1927, the United States government is starting to freak out because they think that the Soviet legation in Mexico is spreading Soviet propaganda in its backyard. But at the same time, at that very same moment, American industrialists are selling heavy machinery and equipment to help industrialize the Soviet Union, which is the very home of Bolshevism. So I think that this is a this shows that Kalantai was actually a pretty darn good diplomat. She spoke in French very politely. She never lost her temper. She dressed very well. You know, she was fashionable enough so that the newspapers could comment upon it. But at the end of the day, she was actually really adept at working as a diplomat in a, in what was overwhelmingly a man's world in the 20s. And using her authority to represent what was at that time the first worker state in the world and still very much in, in the 1920s, a kind of utopian experiment. So I you know, think that even though we can definitely talk about Colin Ty's mistakes in certain mistakes that she made in her earlier, earlier of her life and her career, and I found some great articles uh, about lecture tours that she was giving in the United States during the First World War, which I will definitely read. But I think these two articles, very brief that they are, give us a sort of sense of what she was up against as a woman in Mexico. You know, the, the political establishment in Mexico in 1926-27 was probably completely, utterly, entirely male, except for the, you know, wives that probably hung around these diplomatic dinners. Kalantai must have been something really extraordinary. And she knew it, and she understood that people were going to say whatever they wanted to say about her, because especially the Americans saw her as a major threat, sitting there as a representative of the Soviet Union in Mexico, right in the United States' backyard. So anyway, I, I'm really having a, a good time looking at some of these articles, rereading some of these historical articles that I had excavated for Red Valkyries, because I think that it really does put her into the context of her time and what was going on. And, you know, and she's a diplomat. So her job is to meet with a president, behave nicely, make a good impression, hopefully establish some trade relations, figure out some way that they can be of help to each other. I mean, these are important diplomatic considerations and that's what diplomats do. And that's what Colin Ty was doing. She was no longer the radical revolutionary. However, she was a, a woman, an 
unmarried woman, a mother, unmarried, and um, in a position of great power with kind of a reputation for younger working class men. I don't know if they knew that in Mexico, but certainly when she lay on her way to Mexico, when her boat stopped in Havana in Cuba, they wouldn't let her off the boat because she was traveling unaccompanied by a man. She There was no man in charge of her and the Cubans would not let her disembark. So and neither did the Americans allow her to disembark, by the way, in New York, because they said she was a threat to national security. So this poor woman was stuck on a boat, right, uh, all the way from Europe to the United States and then to Cuba before she gets to Mexico. This is all really long boat ride uh, because she was a woman. Nobody would let her disembark because she was a radical. Nobody would let her disembark. So Yay for Colin Tai. She did make mistakes, but sometimes she got things right. Anyway, I want to say thank you all so much for sticking with me. I am trying to get better at doing this podcast on a more regular basis because last year I definitely let it slip. It's just so much going on, but there's always so much going on. So we have to make time for doing the things that we love to do. And, and this podcast is something that I, I really love to do. Thank you so much for listening and keep up the good fight.